Hello, and welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, we're joined by Jordan Morgan. Hey, Jordan. Good to see you. Hey, thanks for having me. Jordan is, of course, of Subjective C, iOS developer at Buffer, and indie developer of the wonderful Spendstack. It's really great to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I, you know, it's funny. I was trying to think of something other than "thanks so much for having me" to say to sound original, but it just I just couldn't come up with anything, anything better. So, <laughs> genuinely, thanks for having me. That's allowed. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> So at the day of the recording, uh, we had big news this morning about changes to the App Store Commission. Do you want to get into what changes those are and how those affect you personally? Yeah, let's dive right in. So, I mean, the, the, the 10,000 foot view is if you make less than a million dollars, they change the revenue cut from 30% to 15%, basically giving you a uh, 100% raise, which is really nice. Crazy news. And anything's possible these days with the App Store, it seems like. I, I don't know if this is a result of the antitrust laws or if it's Apple just being generous or if it's the pandemic playing into it or a mix of all of those things. But wh- whichever way you slice it, it's, it's very exciting. Uh, the App Store has been around for, what, over a decade now? And this is the first time, aside from giving you a little bit more on subscription pricing after one year, right. that they've they've really changed any of that. So it, it was... Right pretty insane news to wake up to. I, I was telling you before you hit record, I thought it was fake at <laughs> first. I, I really didn't believe it. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of not surprised only because, like you said, there's been a lot of bad press and, uh, you know, the litigation, especially with, with Fortnite. We had an episode, what was it, like a few, about a month ago, probably with Pavel talking about the whole App Store thing. I've never felt like the challenge with the App Store was, well, Getting more money is always good, and I, I I do think that's great. But like to me, it's always been a more a matter of like app review being inconsistent than it has been necessarily the cut. Though I mean, the cut is high, yes, but like to me, it's more like okay, like different app reviewers have different r- rules, and it's like really difficult sometimes to to garner those. Do you feel like this has alleviated a lot of the issues that you've had with the app store? You know, it does, because for me, it was kind of the opposite. I I know app review issues certainly exist, and they really do. But, you know, as humans, we always look at things through a personal selfish lens, whether we like to admit it or not. And for me, app review has never really been an issue. I haven't had any tangles with with app review. For me, I mean, it it was definitely about the money. The difference between the 15 and the 30 is like, for for example, on something like an an entity scale with Spinstack, that's like giving me tons of money to put back into the app. You know, like I could, I can maybe, for example, use that to advertise somewhere prominent, like, uh, you know, like Daring Fireball or something. That's, that's the kind of difference this is going to make for any developers. Uh, so the app store, I've, I kind of feel like I'm on the outside of it. I feel like the kind of emotions around the app store have not been great recently. Um, whether it's because like, you know, the, the, the lawsuit with Epic, like, hey, we should have a choice in how we charge customers. There should be different app stores. I kind of w- been looking at that stuff thinking, I don't feel that way at all. <laughs> you know, I like the walled garden. And in a way, it, it kind of reminds me about, and, and to be clear, there are pros and cons with every approach. Absolutely. There are definitely things Apple needs to be scrutinized on, and, and rightfully so. But I don't want to tangle with other payment methods. And I don't want to be in different app stores. I don't want to mess with all that. Like just having the one app store, uh, warts and all was always a plus for me. And, and, you know, if you want those things, there's a place that has that right. Android. And so 
the, the money was the biggest factor. And so when I look at this, this, this is like a wish list for me. This is, this was my biggest sticking point with the app store. I don't think they've needed the 30%, especially for the smaller guys. Uh, so this, right. this is huge for me. Yeah. I, I agree with you as far as like the walled garden. I think it's really, uh, that is a benefit that being part of the ecosystem has. Now, if you want to spend all your time, like rooting your Android phone and tr- trying to install this, like, hacked emulator on your Android phone, or you want to set up a Windows machine where you can like do all sorts of fantastic stuff. Like that's great. Well, that's just not for me. And like, that's, I agree. That's like part of the benefits, especially with the iPhone as personal of, of a device as the iPhone. I think like that makes sense. The security is really a concern when you're carrying around a camera on a, a you know, location, GPS device and all, and microphone, all that stuff. I would be very concerned about privacy and it makes sense that Apple has definitely leaned into that. Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah. Cause then you'll hear people say, Oh, what if there was an alternative app store? Like, I don't think that really fixes anything per se. Like now you just end up having another app review team that, you know, is going to improve and disapprove stuff and they have their own agenda. Like to me, that doesn't, that doesn't really help the situation. Like I like the fact that we have a centralized app store on Apple and it's managed that way. I think, yeah, the concerns are more having to do with like, do I, do, do I like the way rules are enforced and the lack of like consistency in it? And obviously with any human element, you're going to run into those issues, but yeah, that extra 15. So one thing I was going to ask about with the changes to the cut, like what if you earn, like what if you go 99999 <laughs> and then you go to like 1 million, have, have they figured out like, okay, because that's a substantial change in your cut if you just cross that $1 million mark. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It almost gets into like tax laws, right? Where, hey, if I got this raise, I would actually make you know less money because it puts me in a new tax bracket. It's, it's the same concept only put on the app store. I think to answer your question, I think they said something about like they look at a calendar year basis. So I don't think it's a thing where, and I could be wrong, let's say spin stack just catches absolute, goes nuclear, goes, you know, huge. And it's made, you know, that 999 mark. Uh, and then the next day crosses over to the million. I don't think the next pay period would reflect that. I think it's okay. Now the next calendar slash fiscal year, uh, if you're over that, now you're at, you're back at the 30% cut. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Cause I could see a lot of like business decisions being made to avoid that mark. <laughs> yeah. Either that or your, your rate of growth has to, you know, account for that. Like there's going to be, uh, so if you, if you're pulling in a million and you're forecasted like 20% year over year growth or something like that, then you've got to know like the first, you know, three or four months, it's going to be a net, you know, there's going to be no net positive there because you're offsetting the other 15% with your continued growth. So I, I mean, it's one of those problems. It's good and bad to have. If you're at that scale, unless, you know, like you're, you're David Smith and just have something go extremely viral. Right, right. You know, it's like I, you probably have a team and, and you're thinking about those things. Uh, to me, it's like a pie in the sky goal <laughs> to have that problem would be amazing. Any indie developer would say that. Uh, but it is it is something to think about. Right. It doesn't it doesn't mm-hmm. fix everything. But the numbers that I've seen tossed around, which I haven't looked to see if this is accurate or not. Um, I think it came from Sensor Tower, which in, in my experience, you know, seeing like data and what they say apps make has, has been super hit or miss. So take it with a grain of salt. But I saw that 95 percent of developers will qualify for this. And the ones that don't, 
how, how did that statistic go? I don't know if you saw this. Like, we only account for five percent of the the money the App Store makes. So really, Absolutely. this isn't I'm like not costing that at all. Yeah, yeah. So this isn't costing you know Apple anything. You know, if anything, right. there's nothing but positive things for them to gain from this. So it makes sense from a business perspective. Uh, the PR push is just a nice side effect in a way, but you can get into the weeds on all that and and talk about motives. For me, it's like, I don't care. I get more money for the work that I'm doing and that's great. You know? (laughs) Yeah. I'm not going to play mind reader here and try to figure out like why Apple did this. I'm sure it's like a PR thing in, in some ways, but like, yeah, the benefit to you is substantial, it sounds like. For sure. And, you know, it, it, Apple's a publicly traded company. Their goal is to make money and, and do it at the best rate possible. So, I mean, any any goal or any move they make is going to have that end you know result in mind. But as an indie developer, every little bit counts. And I really think this is going to be the difference maker for some people thinking, hey, can I do this full time or can I not? You know, and think mm. about it in terms yeah. of like if you've yeah. got a day job, if your boss came in and said, hey, you got a 15, you know, whatever percent raise. I don't know how the math exactly would work out. I don't think it translates directly that way. But but you get the idea, like you get a massive raise like that's that's huge for everybody. And I know as someone who's kind of been teetering on that point with Spinstack, where it's like, do I do I kind of take this and go with it and try and make it my thing? Or do I just kind of, you know, let it be like a nice chunk of side income and and take this uh, slower growth rate and go with that. The 15% dynamic changes a lot of those conversations, I think, for several developers out there, because there are a lot that are making, say, 100000 or even 200000 And then there are those below them, a lot of folks who are doing about fifty to 60000 right? And so when you give those people more, they can kind of cross over that inflection point of diving in and going full-time, which is great because I think the best apps are indie apps and we're going to see more of them and more of them sustain for longer. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's helpful to the ecosystem and it's helpful to bring more folks over to developing apps on on iOS. So yeah, it is it is good news all around, especially for indies. Absolutely. So Speaking of getting more money, are you going to use that money to buy anything new this year uh, when it comes to Apple products? <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. This has been the weirdest year of my Apple purchasing habits. Uh, I'm in the middle of building a house, so I've just been putting every dime I have uh, towards that. And it's been so hard because this year there's been some really great products. I, I love the new iPad Air. I really want one of those. I have one of the first generation pros that still has the, uh, the home button. Um, yes, I, yep. I dropped my 11, uh, what was it? 10 or 11, wh- whichever max model was the last to have 3d touch. Cause I absolutely adore 3d touch. Uh, I dropped and shouted that finally. Um, so I went over to my 10 R I let my dad look at vacation photos the other day and he dropped that and shattered the back. <laughs> so, Oh anything, no. Yeah. I'm in prime position to buy a new phone. Uh, but I've been holding off a little bit. I think I'm going to spring for the, uh, the pro max for my wife. Uh, she's all about the pictures. I, I could really care less and just take her old pro max. Cause I, I, I don't know though. If, if I, could just choose one right now. I think I would actually go with the iPhone 12. You know, I just, I love the look. The regular iPhone 12? Yeah, just the vanilla one. I don't use the telephoto lens that much. And like kind of, you know, picking them up and looking at them at Best Buy. I really, and I've seen this opinion shared a little bit more, so I don't think it's just me. I really don't like the shiny sides that much. And given you're probably putting a case on these things right away, but I really like the feel of the 12 a lot. I think it looks really nice. Hey folks, I wanted to let you know about Linode. 
Linode is one of my favorite cloud server tools out there as far as hosting is concerned. You may have seen my latest project, Orchard Nest, where I have built a website completely in Swift for showcasing some of the latest and greatest blog posts, podcasts, and videos in the Swift community. And that site is completely hosted on Linode. In fact, I can tell you that the server is in Newark, but they have servers all around the world, everywhere from Toronto to Mumbai. So you can set up anywhere or you can set up load balancing and share your site everywhere as well. But it has been a really fantastic tool in building Orchard Nest and it really does a great job showing me like various CPU usage and IP4 traffic, IP6 traffic, disk IO, etc. It's been awesome and it's been consistently running great. And I think it's a really great, you get a lot for your price, especially for developers who really want to build stuff hands-on and get the developer tools they need to start their brand new server project. So go ahead and give Linode a shot. The link to Linode is in the show notes below. Use that to let them know that you heard about Linode from this show. They've been awesome. I really enjoyed hosting Orchard Nest on Linode at orchardnest.com. It's been fantastic. They have all sorts of great tools. Get yourself a nice, simple Ubuntu server and start working on that Vapor application you want to today using Linode. Again, use the link in the show notes below to let them know you heard about Linode from us. And hopefully you can get started on your new project today. So I wanted to ask you, since I'm going to be buying a brand new Mac, what are some things developers, especially those of us who use Xcode and Swift, what are those things, first steps that I should be making when I'm setting up this Mac? Yeah, so like I kind of look at this from like an indie developer standpoint. Like if I if I got a new machine today and I'm trying to get up and running with with like the indie dev workflow, like here's kind of what I, I look at. So Xcode, obviously, that's a given. Like you're going to install that. But I think one Which version? How about that? <laughs> yeah, I just take the actually I have both right now because I don't you know. You have eleven and twelve too? Yeah, because I don't one of them doesn't run fourteen whatever I'm on right now. I don't know if they ever caught up with that on the release. I can't keep up. But I kept getting the iPhone is not connected and I was like, oh, for, forget okay, this. Okay. I opened up the beta and it worked. So <laughs> I was like, whatever. Uh so yeah, you, you've got to have the versions of Xcode. But one thing that I, I think a lot of developers miss is like the very nice applications that they have packed in with Xcode, you know, like instruments uh, is, is I use that every single week. It's awesome. Um, And then also the accessibility auditor, which is amazing. So they don't make it obvious that that comes with the Xcode installation, but if you go and, you know, you check it out locally, you can see them there. So I, I always put those right next to Xcode on my dock. So they kind of stay forefront. And, you know, I remember to kind of take accessibility a little bit more seriously and then if something's hanging or something's not working in the app, you know, I'll open up instruments and, you know, start debugging that. Those two things, I think if you do those, like just in general, you'll become a just a better, air quotes better, whatever that means to you, developer almost instantly. Because those tools, I, I think, are invaluable. And I don't really hear people talk about them as much as I think, you know, maybe the discussion is warranted. But th- those are those are my go-tos. And then beyond that, for me, it really kind of comes down to like what bucket of work I'm doing. Like if I'm doing development work, 
we've been doing a lot of Swift UI at work, building major features with it. And then, of course, you know, I'm using it here and there in SpinStack. Hands down, the best program I found is uh, called A Companion for Swift UI. Uh, have you heard of this? No, no, I want to hear about this. Oh, it's so good. So, you know, we, we all could, we could spend a whole podcast talking about the state of documentation uh, at Apple and whether it's awful, whether it's great, whether it's right, somewhere, right, right. somewhere in between, you know, yada, yada, yada. But what this does is it takes every single part of the Swift UI framework. And it makes it searchable, one. So, like, if I need to know how to do something with a navigation bar, I can just type in navigation and it'll, you know, autocomplete every single bit of SwiftUI that deals with uh, with that. And it gives you coded uh, samples right then and there. And you can run it in line in the app. So, you know, I don't even, like, open up the browser at all. Like, the other – or actually, this morning, I was trying to see how to do something with a, a drag gesture. You know, like, I was trying to see, what, okay, so how do I get, like, the translation – of, of the drag that I'm doing on this, on this view. And I just typed it in, in this app and it pops it up and it has a code sample and, and everything. It's, it's the number one resource I would recommend for anyone doing any bit of Swift UI. Like it's almost, it's, you have to have it. Um, I think it's that good. And it's a one-time purchase from another indie developer. I think it was like 50 bucks, but it's worth its weight. In yeah, gold. it's 50 bucks. Uh, yeah. But like you said, he's another indie developer. It sounds like, and, um, Wow, it's it's pretty rave reviews, and it's got a lot of positive reviews as well on, yeah. on the App Store. So, yeah, my it sounds like it's worth worth the oh, money. Oh, for sure, it, I would have paid a hundred bucks for it. No, no joke. It saved me so much time, and just just to have like the examples right then and there, and not have to search for them. And you can open up, and not only that, but it's a good Mac app. You can do other tabs. You can favorite stuff. It's it's really well done, and it's already updated for uh, you know the new APIs that landed with uh, iOS 14. So every, everything's in there. So you, you mentioned instruments. Like I have used instruments typically to look at like, okay, where where is an app like really slowing down or being a memory hog looking for zombies yeah. or looking for memory leaks, things like that. Like what, what, what am I missing about instruments that devs should really know about? I think you nailed the, the best use cases right there, especially like time allocation. So, you know, if your app doesn't feel right or if it's, you know, kind of chugging and you don't really know why, that's the best way to find it. And it's those things, it's it's when things aren't obvious that it really comes into play. Uh, and, and zombies and anything dealing with memory is a great one. And a new one they added this year was like, uh, I forget the name off the top of my head. I'm, I'm going to mess it up, but it, it helps you debug scroll hitches. Oh, wow. So it kind of goes yeah, that's even really cool. Yeah, it's really, really cool. And it, and it goes a bit further than like the time allocations, because that's usually what I used for that. You know, I'd see like, is something blocking main? Is something taking a long time? Am I using like a number formatter every time in cell for row at index and making a new one? It, it kind of gives you, you know, more insight into why frames are dropping, which, you know, that's like a hallmark of every good app, right? It's like you hit that 60 frames or an insane 120 on the iPad Pros and, and you want to make sure those things feel good. So instruments helps debug all yes. those things. Yes, it does. Um, it's got a ton of templates. It's like got 10 or 12 and I haven't used half of them. Some of them are more like niche problems. Like I think there's one for core data and stuff like that. But I think one reason why you don't hear about it as much is it's kind of an intimidating product to kind of get up and going with, you know, like it's a tool for programmers made by programmers and you can kind of feel that. Um, so you you open it up and there's this just plethora of options. And if you find the one you want, you still kind of have to tweak some things to get to the information that you're after. But it pays to spend some time with it. I think there's some good WWDC sessions that kind of give you a good overview of how you would use it. And if you take the time to invest that like that hour into really kind of learning it, 
I think it pays pays dividends in the future. And what was the other one you said? Ex- accessibility? What was that called? I'm not even familiar, familiar with that one. Yeah, yeah. It's the uh, accessibility inspector. So what it does is if you open up your project, and actually you don't even need an Xcode project. You can just open it independently. It'll tell you if you're missing like accessibility labels, if the tap targets are too small, if the color contrast isn't right. Um, and you can press one button and it'll audit the whole view controller that's presented at that point. So like kind of our goal is at Buffer to to, to 100% all of those um, views that we have. And we're not there yet. It's really hard to do, especially in a a mature project. But it really helps. That sounds like kind of uh, Google's PageSpeed tools that they have. They rebranded it recently. I forgot what it's called. Like the web inspector stuff or the SEO tools where they'll tell you like, oh, your website, like it's crappy on mobile because the touch Mm -hmm. is way too small or like, you're like, there's a lot of web tools for accessibility. It kind of sounds like that, but more in the iOS space. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, I think the one that I used recently was called like web.dev to kind of, I like benchmark my own blog to kind of see if it was doing well in SEO and accessibility, but yeah, it's that for mobile apps purely from an accessibility standpoint. So it'll recommend, uh, a bunch of stuff in there and it's, and unlike instruments, it's actually pretty easy and obvious to use. And I don't mean that as a knock on instruments. It's, it's a complex problem that solves, you know, or a complex hundred things. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It does a lot. But if you open up accessibility inspector and you have your app running, like you'll know right away kind of what's going on and it'll tell you like, Hey, this, this isn't right. This needs fixed. So it doesn't take much time at all to get up and running with it. So what other dev tools would you recommend when you're setting up a new computer? Yeah. So I would say, unlike a lot of people, I don't really have a ton of dev tools. There's probably two that come to mind uh, that strictly help with development. One would just be GitHub's uh, own desktop app, which for me, I've never been too savvy with Git on the command line. I know some people can fly with that. Uh, Several of my coworkers, like they don't don't need a GUI at all. But for me, I feel a lot more comfortable using Git with the GUI and, and that's helped me out. There's Several other good programs that solve that problem too, like Tower, uh, Fork is another one. There's quite a few out there, but I use GitHub's because it was free when I first started at Buffer. I hadn't used Git before that, and I've just stuck with it ever since, and it makes it really easy, and they're actually constantly improving it. Um, Just yesterday, I think they shipped like uh, split diffing, so you can kind of see like the changes side by side. And as far as all the flack for Electron goes, like it's actually one that, that works pretty well, and I don't really seem to see too many huge performance hits on it. So I feel like I've been really impressed with uh, GitHub since Microsoft has taken it over. Like they seem to have done like a really good job, like GitHub actions. Yeah. The GitHub app, the Git, the new Git command line tool that replaces yeah. their hub command. It seems like GitHub has just continued to like really improve and both from a developer aspect, but also like from a community aspect. They've done a great job. I'll switch over to using something like Bitbucket and it's just like, oh man, like this is painful um, in comparison. It's an exercise in frustration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think you're right though. Um, and especially their mobile app. They've done so good with that. I mean, if you look at the pedigree of the people that make it, like they know what a good iOS app is and you can feel it in the app. And and that's always right. a joy to use something like that. So I'm a big terminal user. So I do everything in the, sure. ter- like as much as I can in the terminal. Absolutely. So I don't, I don't use a GitHub, the GitHub desktop app though. I've heard really great things about it, but I use Oh my ZSH for setting up my terminal, which has a lot of like makes it easier for you to configure like your, your command line and your autocomplete. Uh, and things like that. I know a lot of people like fish, but I prefer ZSH right now and it's worked for me. So I don't really want to change, change that too much. 
And then, yeah, I use Git in the terminal there. As far as like, how about text editor? What do you use for a text editor? If I'm not doing iOS, I use Sublime. Yeah, for, same here. And, okay. and like when I write blog posts, I write all of it in Sublime because I use uh, Jekyll. Markdown, yeah. Yeah, 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 so it's really great for that. Um, and recently I've been thinking of like revamping my website over Christmas break and I downloaded Nova from Panic and, and I really like that. So I might see if I stick over there and, and do some things with it. But yeah, I want to I want to try out Nova. I just haven't had I, I find myself like always going back to Sublime yeah. Text despite so simple and efficient like, you know, Electron and Adam being out and all those or not VS Code. Which are they got? Uh, despite Adam and Visual Studio Code, I actually dabbled a bit in Visual Studio Code. That seems pretty solid when it comes to web development that the little that I've done this year, I, I've, I've really liked that because it has a lot of plugins with yeah. JavaScript stuff. But as far as like yeah just plain old text editing i tend to use sublime for that and then for blogging i use uh ulysses typically because that has markdown support yeah that's one of those programs i want to use more that and i writer like it's almost one of those aspirational things like i'm gonna write more with this thing <laughs> and i never really commit to it and get get in there and figure it out too much and i think that's one reason why i just go back to sublime because it's just it's so functional and gets out of your way and it's right, not right I was going to say it's not opinionated. It is opinionated in the fact that it's opinionated that it shouldn't do much other than what it's built to do, which is just be a great text editor. Right. And then if you need like a specific uh, extension, you could just yeah. install that extension if you need to like format JSON right. or format your Swift code in Sublime Text for some reason. You know, yeah, they, they allow kind of an open open platform. It's really nice. Yeah, there's, there's a great one I use for Markdown uh, that just kind of formats it kind of pretty so you can just kind of focus on writing. And, and I've always really enjoyed that. And that's the one thing kind of holding me back from Nova right now is admittedly it's young. It just came out. So the plugins will, will come. Right. But there right. wasn't one for Markdown specifically. And I don't want to – if there's one thing I don't like doing, I'd rather take a tool that's okay at everything – then really kind of jump around to a bunch of other ones that are good at one or the other. So like if, if Sublime can help me build like my Jekyll site and let me write Markdown, I'll probably stick with that over Nova, which is far better at, you know, the web dev experience, but doesn't do jack squat with, with Markdown right now. So one of the concerns that I have with the new M1 Mac is how much I use Homebrew. Do you use Homebrew a lot? No, I mean, I have it installed. Uh, it's one of those things that I use it when I need it. And it's funny that all those package managers kind of just crossover in my mind, like NPM, Homebrew, uh, you know, all these other ones. I, I install it when I need a specific thing and then usually tend to never <laughs> touch it again. Right. So I use Homebrew for everything. Like I actually use uh, Homebrew and Homebrew Cask to install apps that aren't available on the App Store. So like most of the apps that I install, I install through Homebrew. So I'm a little bit concerned uh, if when I get my new MacBook Air that I won't be able to use Homebrew because I know that there's still... I know at least Paul Hudson had a post about some issues with homebrew compatibility. And I don't know if it's with homebrew itself or with the applications you install by homebrew, but um, I'll have to keep you in the loop when I get my new computer to see how well that works, because that I'm a bit concerned about. It isn't to say like there's not alternative ways to installing stuff, but um, that I use a lot to get my computer set up because what I'll do is I'll end up setting up like a brew bundle file and then I'll use that to install everything that I use on my computer on the same, like on a different machine based on my brew bundle file that I export from an old, from an older machine, as opposed to like using basically like time machine, I guess. Yeah. I, I go that route instead and kind of start from scratch. Do you use backups or do you use, 
Do you just install things on Scratch on a new machine? Yeah, I just do it on Scratch because I, I get in this mood where I'm like, I'm going to I'm gonna clean this up and get rid of all the stuff that I don't use, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yep, I understand. So it's, it's funny. The things that I truly care about that I don't want to lose are all backed up uh, on the cloud, which I know the cloud is also a server somewhere and that could go down. I, I fully realize that, but you know, like all my photos and stuff that I have in Apple's ecosystem, you know, those, those are all on iCloud. Uh, all, and beyond that, the thing that I really care about is like my blog content and my code and all of those things are on GitHub. So, you know, I always, I usually go in fresh and, and you know, if iCloud and GitHub get nuked, then you've won world, <laughs> you know, you know, I'll just take the lumps. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You've got bigger problems to deal with because there's a lot of people who are using those. Exactly. Sites. We got a lot of issues if the, if those go down. Did you, were you ever a windows user? Uh, nah, I mean, growing up, like we had one, but I, I used it as a necessity. But as soon as I graduated high school, I got a Mac and, and never looked back, especially with the iPhone. When I was a window user, like regardless of having a computer, like a new computer or just using the same computer, I remember always having to yeah. like reinstall Windows every couple of years or so. Just like, oh my gosh, my computer is so slow. I have a ton of apps on here. I'm just going to do a clean install of Windows and install everything from scratch because it always, because Windows would just get so bogged down by all the apps that you would install. Like, yeah. I don't feel like I have that problem on the Mac. Whereas like on the Mac, it's like, for some reason, re like do a clean install on my Mac for no reason. Like it's just not going to happen. Whereas with Windows, I just remember always having to like re like just okay. I'm going to format my hard drive and reinstall everything. You know, oh well, my computer is slow again. Like it's so funny. So before we close out, I wanted to chat a little bit about your work situation. Now, have you typically worked from home? Yeah. So I've worked remote for Buffer for five years. And most of that time I've been at a co-working space. Uh, when we went on lockdown, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I worked from home for about three months straight. Uh, but typically I actually don't work from home. I, I work from a little office that I, I rent out in town. Okay. So do you, you rent out an office in mm -hmm. town that you go to? Uh, and work from it's not is it a co-working space or is it like an office yeah yeah it's a co-working space and and that's part of like buffers uh, since buffer is fully remote if if you're listening and aren't familiar with the company uh it has been for a very very long time and so as part of the employee package they reimburse you for co-working spaces because we kind of look at it as uh i like a necessity to, to do your best work and so uh, yeah i've always just had a co-working space up up here in town. And it's been a, it's been a lifesaver for me because my house is, is quite small. It's like 1200 square feet for five of us. Hence I'm building a new house. Absolutely. And you know, my kids are uh, three kids under six, so they're not exactly subtle or quiet or understand that I'm working. So working from home is crazy. <clears throat> and this is this is why I do podcast recording when most of the kids. Oh, you have home, to, yeah, so. yeah. I don't have like a co working space or any of that stuff, so I just pretty much work from home. Yeah, and and I enjoy it. Luckily, my older three can go to school so far. Yeah, crossing my fingers that'll last. And then the little two, actually, my seven year old is home today because he's he's not feeling well. But like, uh, yeah, when I have little ones, as probably listeners know, we put on something on the TV when I'm recording if any, any kids are home. So that way no interruptions, but I can't, yeah, that, that particular age under six can be pretty challenging to try to like have quiet time. Yeah. And especially in a vocation like programming where, you know, every single job requires a certain degree of focus, no, no doubt, but programming is like, 
you've got to be lasered in and you always hear the term like I'm in the zone, right? And it's hard to get back in the zone. Or you see that viral tweet that goes around every few months where it shows a calendar, like a Google calendar. And, and it says something like, this is what you're going to do to developers if you have meetings. And like before the meeting, it's like shows a block of time where the developer's like, well, I have a meeting, so I'm not going to get started. And then after the meeting, it's like, okay, and now I need like 30 minutes to ramp back up, <laughs> you know? So right. all that to say, like, you've got to be able to focus. Yeah. And I've had to let uh, clients know, like my time is pretty restricted since I'm working from home and everybody is home. That's definitely restricted my focus time. And it is what it is this year. So you've had the the work the co-working space has been open most of the year it sounds like yeah they so i'm in springfield missouri and everything shut down for like a few months and 2020 just blurs together like i'm sure it does for everybody oh yeah and so yeah. i can't remember how long ago that was but yeah so everything closed down for a few months they were actually open longer than most but so once once everything shut down you know i went i went to my house but they've been open since with, you know, all the typical protocols in place that the local okay. government dictates. Okay, that know, makes sense. The, the six feet minimum between desks and, you know, got to wear masks and those things. That makes sense. So basically, like, whatever the local rules are, and then, and then they just, I guess, space out the desks accordingly. Yeah, yeah. So it's nice because it's just, it, it's funny because when I look at the whole situation of me working at a co-working spot. When I tell people I work remote, the the first image that comes to mind, if you aren't really like familiar with that line of work is, you know, you, you kind of sit in your underwear on the couch and it's all good. And it's so relaxed, you know, you just work no. you know, whatever you want. Yeah. And it's not like that at all. It's like, I actually enjoy my morning commute to the co-working space. Like it's kind of like my, my me time, which as you know, with, with kids, it's like, especially important to get that as a human being to kind of clear your head and get, get ready and set your day straight. And, you know, I listen to a podcast, whether it's, it's one like this or some music. And then I get that delineation between this is where I work and this is where I live. Um, and even with Spinstack, like I, I look at Spinstack as a fun thing I do. Like it's not work for me. And so because of that, I usually go to a coffee shop or somewhere other than the, the co-working space to do that work. Because when I'm here, I just treat it solely as that. Like this is this is where I work and make my living for my family and for myself. And when I leave here, I'm I'm not doing that. And I found that when I worked from home, when I first started at Buffer, it was really hard to, to draw those lines of separation. And I know some people who do it really well, like several of my coworkers, they work from home all the time and they love it and it works really well for them. And, and certainly there's, there's great things about it, like being able to go upstairs and grab some food or talk to your, you know, your other half, to your kids. But for me, my, my brain's just not wired that way. Like I want that separation of concerns between my, my work and my life. Yeah, I totally get that. And I think like before 2020, it was a lot easier to be like, kids, you don't come in the office. Like this is mommy and daddy's work area. And then like, gosh, by halfway through the year, it was like, okay, yeah, I'll come in the office. Do you have <laughs> Throw all the rules out the door. Like it becomes really difficult this year when you work from home to like, it's for easy for me to have that separation. It's not easy for other little people in the household to have that separation. No, it's not. And I think that's yeah. that's what becomes like the big challenge for me this year has been like establishing that, uh, like you said, me time because uh, you're just always home, locked in all the time. And like, I think I've gone to a coffee shop one time this year uh, and worked because it's just, I, I, I think now, like we just started a new restriction here in Michigan and it's like pretty much everything is back to being locked down again. And so yeah. it's like, oh, well, there goes my opportunity to go to work at a coffee shop. But I do miss that <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice. And, you know, it, it kind of is like this broader discussion about parenthood and kind of when I first got started and what I read and what I heard, it's 
it's almost like you become this martyr to where you have no space for yourself. And I, I really don't think that's true or even really healthy. Like you, me and my wife do really well at that when one of us is like kind of sinking under the toils of parenthood because it's it's super rewarding and it's super difficult. Like you need a little bit of time to just kind of clear your head and catch your breath for a second, especially at such a busy age uh, with with all of them being under six. And I think that's one huge challenge among many of the pandemic is is parents such as ourselves kind of don't get that chance to to kind of reset a bit. And that's been super hard for a lot of people, especially if you can't go out um, and kind of get that time, whether it was at a coffee shop or, you know, just going down the road to grab some food or, or whatever it was. It's super key to to kind of, you know, get your frame of mind in the right spot. Yeah, I, I agree totally. I think one of the things is you can fool yourself into thinking like me time is just going to work because uh, you're, you don't have to deal with the kids. Like you can focus on work, but I've noticed like, no, I need to like have me time where I do nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because otherwise I just, I can't clear my head. And then the other thing that's been really helpful this year is just having relatives oh, yeah. around who can, uh, watch the kids. I don't know if you, you're that lucky, but, um, I, I now as, as someone who, uh, likes the big city life, I now understand how many benefits you get from uh, having family around. Um, it, it's definitely it's definitely a big help. And I can see why a lot of people are like, what's the point in working from a big city if you can work anywhere? Uh, and now I see totally. that. <laughs> yeah, my entire family is here. So like on both sides, um, myself and my wife. So like I, we, we would never move. It's, it's funny when we need a babysitter, it's almost like a bidding war of which grandparent will, will win them for the night, you know, because they all. <laughs> so it's it's been super great. Yeah, I, I know what that's like. Oh, it's phenomenal. Cool. Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we close out? Yeah, I didn't have anything in in particular. I think we hit some of the big ones, the App Store revenue cut, the M1 Max, working from home. We we kind of rounded all the bases today. Well, thank you so much, Jordan, for coming on the show. I'm glad we could do this. Where could people find you online? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, Twitter is where I'm usually uh, talking the most, and my handle is at JordanMorgan10. Uh, my website where I write is swiftjectivec.com, swift and objective C mashed together. Um, and then app wise, uh, you can find SpinStack on the app store and, uh, my day job at buffer. You can find our handiwork on the app store too. So really proud of the work we're doing there. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. People can find me on Twitter at Leo G Dion. My company is Bright Digit. If you could post a review to Apple Podcasts, Google, or Spotify, I'd really appreciate it. And if you have any feedback about what we should talk about on the show or any questions that you have, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter again at Leo G Dion. Thank you for joining us, and I look forward to talking again. <laughs>